Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Woodward Tigers here at WoodwardSports.com. I'm my host, Castillo, alongside Ms. Chris Brown, Uper, and John. You can find us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen to podcasts. Of course, always at WoodwardSports.com. Hopefully that is a complete thought that I finished and that kicks off our first. We got a review over the weekend. And I, like I said, I don't mind reviews. I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Without reviews, we don't get better as a show. If it wasn't for all the reviews, I don't think our audio would be as good as it has been. But again, that could be wrong. Somebody out there is probably going to say my audio is bad. So the review we got today was the, the title is called No Complete Thoughts. <laughs> I, it was a one-star review. It's our first one-star review in quite some time, too. I really want to give the show a higher rating, but the host's borderline inability to speak in complete thoughts renders it nearly unlistenable. The primary host, which I can assume is me, speaks in half-thoughts and pauses mid-sentence every time. This is unbearable. It's also his fake voice to imitate the average Tigers fan, or quote, the average Tigers fan is extremely stupid. This would be a problem, though, if the host did not speak in half-thoughts. It's also not there been the first time on podcast or radio. This show has been on for multiple years, and the primary host has been even in radio. So whoever wrote this review probably remembered the fact that maybe I went on radio in Grand Rapids days. I don't know. But I thought that, again, tomato, tomato, to each your own. So I'm going to retire the so Apparently, because so offended by it. Again, two people have complained about it, but I, I, I'm just, I, don't know, I just kind of crack up about it. But it's just again, complete thoughts, whatever, it, whatever it is. I, like I said, I'll read every review because I hold myself. I, I think we should hold ourselves accountable. But Detroit degenerate, by the way, but wasn't that home run by Jake Rogers a thing of beauty too? I just want to talk about that home run because I know Jake Rogers felt like and wow they're doing a Jake Snake Roberts on WWE Legends it's awesome wait what now somebody in, in the YouTube chat mentioned he's checking in while watching any any WWE Legends Jake the Snake and it's funny you mentioned that because I'm looking about wrestling right now while hey. I, I like oh here's the thing I have always liked wrestling I don't watch wrestling like I used to because baseball and all that but I still like again, it's all it's just a big curiosity to me. And you're looking at one of the biggest wrestling nerds right here. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. But anyway, the both of them we're gonna talk about today's game, we're gonna talk about Saturday's game. And tomorrow I will be heading up to Tampa. It'll be my last game for spring training, unless I can come back in March. But this will be my last game tomorrow as the Tigers take on the Yankees. That will be on television. That'll be on the Yes Network starting at six thirty. So that would be a, a, a chance for you to check out the Tigers. And the Tigers today lost 10-6, to 6, but really it was one bad inning from Chase Fry, who just looked he looked bad. He, he, got, right. he got tagged up pretty quickly and couldn't just get anything over the strike zone. But Baltimore, Baltimore had four or five prospects. I was talking about this with Chris earlier in the game, and it was just all these guys were just were beasts. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited. Jed, oh holy crap, Jed's on. I don't know how often we get Jed in here, but yeah, the game will be on TV tomorrow. Let's talk about that. But yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about today with today's game that I really liked. And first and foremost, let's start actually with Saturday's game. But we'll yeah we'll start with Saturday's game, gentlemen. The future is here. Okay, the future is here. <laughs> Now you're gonna tell, probably think to yourself, where am I? Hell, am I going with this? I'll tell you. When you have a Rule Five draft come out throwing bullets, like yesterday, we have to take something with a, a grain of salt. Yesterday, the Tigers did play the Phillies split squad, and it is good to know there were some good signs to see. But it was, all jokes aside, Albert or Mason Albert looked really good yesterday. Two innings, four strikeouts. And he was getting a bunch of just getting, just getting some swings and misses and throwing in there. And he looked really comfortable out there, too. And what was funny was as he's going to the back to because you have to go straight back through the back fence right there to get back to the dugout or to the back locker room. He forgot his pitch com thing in his hat. So he had to bring it back. So that was, that was pretty funny. 
But uh, yeah, it was it was good to see. And then Parker Meadows got the home run. You got Austin Meadows there, give him the hug. So you got a really good family story right then and there. The, the great story about his his parents saying his mom was like, "Oh, I'm not going to make it," but they drove down to Georgia. And but uh, yeah, it was their parents were chilling right there. And then today, then yesterday, I think the yesterday the highlight of yesterday way was seeing David Littlefield so works for the team. There's been a David Littlefield sighting. Wow. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. But he still works for the team. But but yesterday, yeah, it was it was good to see the Meadows get off to a good start. And another encouraging sign too was the fact that if you're looking at the slider of Garrett Hill was disgusting. I look he, he struck out Nick Castellanos on his slider and he also is throwing a he's been throwing a spike curve. But Chris, do you remember this at all from when he was in the minors? Or is that just a kind of a new word thing he was working on? I don't remember a spike curve. The spike curves tend to be harder, like more in the mid eighties, like an Alex Lang curve. And I remember Hill throwing more of the the traditional sort of seventy mile an hour, mid seventies loopy curve. So the spike curve would be a, a fun development for sure. Yeah, and he had that going around he had that going around like eighty one, eighty two, according to the rear gun on there. And I thought it looked it looked pretty good. It was a pitch that again he only allowed he only allowed the one walk and one hit. But again, I thought Gary Hill came out and he was hitting 96, 97 on the gun, which is a little more than he was last year. And but yeah, I thought his performance stood out. Another performance that stood out yesterday that on the pitching side of things, of course, was what I said we mentioned earlier, but on the offensive side of things, Akil Badu first hit of the spring for the Tigers got a double the right. And that was like 100. What's that, John? Was it 110 off the bat? 102. 102 off the bat. Okay. I thought Meadows, Meadows hit the 110 mile an hour home run. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And then, as far as Andy Baez swung on 3 0, got the green light from Inch and got a single. And then, probably the, the best moment of all day, Andre Lipsius, two run <laughs> shot. And that was a, a feeling of satisfaction. Again, only spring. So, grain of salt, but. For somebody who's been on the Andre Lipsius bandwagon, captain, train, or all that stuff. But yeah, he'll yeah, he'll pump ninety-seven easily. So I know you guys I don't know what you guys your thoughts about yesterday's game. Yeah, so for me, I think Angler was definitely the thing that stood out to me the most. Obviously, I wasn't there to watch the game. I just have to take other people's thoughts for it. But four strikeouts in two innings, seven swings and misses. That sounds really encouraging. I wish I was there to see it. And yeah, obviously Lipsius going deep. That was great. It's You can't take too much from this as much as we want to. And as excited as we are, we have to realize this is going to be a process and we, we're going to have to wait. I have a sample size of a week or two weeks to how we're really going to be able to see how these guys are going to be heading into the year. Yeah, but for me, Angler was my main takeaway, as well as Parker Meadows and Lipsius going deep. That was really good as well. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I, I think Engler was, was my main takeaway, too, because he's a guy who has to stick on the roster. And, and it's just a fascinating process when you, you talk about the Rule 5, because for years and years, we it seemed like teams would just take a, like a hard-throwing reliever and hope it worked. And then a couple years ago, the Tigers took Akil Badu, which was who had barely played in A ball. And then this year they take Mason Engler, who had barely played in a, he, he reached double A at the end of the year. And it's just it, it's interesting because some some players have skills that immediately translate no matter what level you're at. And with, with Badu, it was pitch recognition and, and ability to, to control the strike zone. We, it was advanced enough that go through all the ups and downs as, as a big leaguer and not get too out of sorts, despite his lack of track record in the minors. And with Engler, it's pitchability. He's a guy with, with four or five distinct pitches, and he throws strikes with all of them. And so who cares if he only has 100 innings under his belt? Like, that's a guy you can find a spot for. And so th the fact that he was getting those swings and misses was really encouraging because most of his stuff is just average to solid average, 45 to 55 pitches if it, on, on the 20 to 80 scouting scale, I should say. And But yeah, th that he's able to mix them up and locate them is, is very encouraging for a guy that we think is probably going to be a long reliever, a middle reliever this year, but could eventually grow into a mid-rotation starter a year or two down the road. So that was a big takeaway. And like you said, seeing home runs from a couple of the younger prospects, not, not the top-tier guys. Ellipsius and, and Meadows is creeping up that way, but that, that was big to see. And just uh, we got our, our guy Adam Wolf was out there throwing an inning. It's always fun to see some of the prospects who don't make any lists but nevertheless have something to offer. 
nice to see them go out there and succeed in, in spring training. So that was fun. Yeah. And what's funny too is yesterday, Yaya Janu, who pitched in Erie, was there. <laughs> and then as I'm going to, I met a good old friend of the show, James Ship at the bar at Revival down in Lakeland. He was there. He was with a friend. So it was pretty funny to see. But what about you, Yupra? What are your takeaways? It was good to see just playing see Austin Meadows back on a ball field. How that plays out this spring and into the season means a lot. His career, I'm not going to say in jeopardy, but he needs to be on the field and get back to being productive, put last year behind him in every way that he can. So that's step one is to get back on a ball field and, and base pitching. So that was good to see him back out. Certainly Metal, his brother, Parker, hitting the home run. The way I, the way I view him right now is we had this talk earlier this winter. We said, who needs to have a Parker Meadows year, breakout year? And my answer to that, and still is, is Parker Meadows needs to have another Parker Meadows year. Because we saw a lot of failure in him the first few years. And last year, we saw a wonderful season of baseball. We really perked up, changed some things, was the ball player everybody was hoping to see. But again, that's just one year. Let's see it again. To get to the majors, he's going to have to do it again. Poking one out in, in, a, in a big league game in, the, in a spring training is a good start. And for Engler, that's a great first step to make the ball club. He's a Rule 5 guy. They're going to want him to succeed and be worth keeping or worth sending Texas something for to complete a trade. Nothing but a good first step. But certainly, he'll be the guy to watch now the next next few times out and see if he can keep it going. And I do have the pitching in terms of who's going to be out there, too. And I have to, I'll have to pull that up shortly. But no, the, the biggest thing that I noticed about yesterday, too, among the hitters side of things, is what Chris mentioned earlier. Even Meloy, who got hit, got hit in the hand. Of course, there's no damage after that. But it was good to see them get in, in their way. Phil Nevin started. 0 for 3, so maybe there's just a kind of thing what they're going to have to do with just trying to see right away, exactly, okay, same thing with us, Baez is going to be for Cuba, and I think Tuesday and Wednesday is going to be his last, I believe Wednesday or Thursday before he has to travel to Taiwan, I think that's where Cuba's starting off mm. as a World Baseball Classic, and, but then position battle-wise, you had Jonathan Davis, who had a good game today, he had a walk, a hit, and he had a steal, and for the second straight day in a row, pull up. Jermaine Palacios had a single. He went one for two yesterday, one, one for two today. And both his RBI singles were, he had both singles were for RBIs. So to me, that's those kind of battles right there are going to be the ones that, because even with, it turned, starting yesterday, that's where I think AJ Hinch has to make a quick decision relatively soon. And so, and get the vibe in the clubhouse. So I'm going to pull up here in a second. The Riley Green, there's some interesting things he said about Riley Green today that I'll play for everybody and about putting him in different spots in the outfield because he has, wants to see what he has with everybody. And so it was, it was interesting in a sense because he, he mentioned this, and he mentioned this very clearly, that the best version of the lineup is him in the top third of it. So I'm going to play it here. And here in a second, once it's uploading. But another thing, yeah, he was, I think that was interesting because everybody's assuming he's going to play center field and he is going to play center field. But to see him get some spots in the corner, to see what else they have, I think that's why we're seeing so much time with Davis getting the outfield. Parker Miller's going to play the outfield. And something that Dan Dickerson mentioned on the broadcast today was interesting. The Lakeland center field is actually bigger than Comerica Parks. Mm. It doesn't look that way. And I, honestly, I wouldn't have known that, but here's here's Hinch, by the way. It's, it's ideal world is rightly your lead up there. For Not necessarily. I think we'll, we'll flirt with a few different things. I'll give you two things on Riley. One, the, the best version of him is going to stay in that top third of the lineup somewhere. Matchup dependent, we could, we could mess with that a little bit. So we'll see. I've got to get to know a few new hitters and how to optimize the moves that the other manager is going to make and where am I going to hit Meadows or other guys that, that I could pair up with him. Secondly, he's going to be in the multi-position group as well. He's going to play one of the corners, if not both the corners at some time this spring, just to give us ourselves a, a little bit of optionality. So he knows it. He's on board. I'm trying to get him as many at-bats in the spring, but I would say our best lineup has him on the top. That's where you're going to get looks. But Veerling play a little bit of center. JD, uh, Jonathan Davis will play a little bit of center. Parker will play a little bit of center, especially after your homer in your first at bat. <laughs> and I'm sure there's somebody I'm 
Am I missing anybody that up your head? Kryler Short. Kryler Short will see it. Probably not not at the Yep. That was AJ Hinch talking about the whole center field position. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Uh, it's it's fine. I, I I mean I think I think for as good as Riley Green was in center field last year, I think most of us acknowledge that that's not his long term position. He might play it for a few more years, but he's probably a corner outfielder in the long run. He doesn't have the ideal speed you want. Instincts are spectacular. We saw that. I'd rather have Parker Meadows with slightly less instincts being able to run down a ball without diving so that Riley Green can save his spleen, which is going to explode one of these days. It's good to just get other looks. And I think we've talked about a bunch. Like Hinch just likes to put guys all over the place and, and see what happens. So that's fine. And you need you don't want to go all spring with Riley Green as your center fielder like 80% of the time, and then he gets injured again, and suddenly you don't have anybody with any recent reps planned. So it's cool right. to get get a look at some other guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I think one guy, I think Matt Verling, I think he can be a guy that could profile in center field due to his speed. I just wanted to add that to, to Chris's point. Yeah, and that was Davis. Jonathan Davis is fighting for a fourth spot in the outfield. So that adds another element, too. And he's he's shown some quickness. He's already been impressive in camp already. He's one of those players that, again, is he going to be a, is he a household name? No, but he has come away. His work ethic and everybody's been pretty happy with him in camp so far. And overall, that position right there for the fourth outfield spot is going to be a going to be a competitive one. And even if it's a punters too, I wouldn't mind the fact that with you have Verley now, it gives you an opportunity to have that versatility. You can put Badu. Personally, I think I think Badu is going to stay. Badu is going to stay in left or. Pretty much in left field, I think. Talked about center. I'm not really sure if Hinch wants to put him in center, but overall, you have Badu there. On the left, you can put Green. Metal. The combinations in the outfield are endless. It's where the infield and third base spot of things. That's where we're going to see the most of competition here in the next few the next few weeks too. Because in the grand scheme of things, Scope is also gone at the end of the week because he's going to play for the yeah. Netherlands. So then you have Ibanez gone, you have Baez gone. And so this is a chance for, I think, I know Cabrera's gone, but I feel like I'm missing somebody. Is that it? Was you said Baez, Ibanez, Cabrera, Scope? Yeah. Sounds right. Okay. So, yeah, from there, you're going to see a lot more Polanco, or just to, to say the guy's name, I'm just trying to blank now all of a sudden. Palacios. Palacios. We're going to see a lot of Palacios. We could see some Keith play at third. And more likely to some even Brendan Davis is going to see more time in the outfield than I think at third, but you never know. He could go back to third, but he has time in the outfield and same thing, or excuse me, in, in the infield and Malloy also at third. But again, I, I think as far as making the team and all that stuff, it's way too early to get into that. And then we'll start with today's game or we'll go into today's game and Baltimore, by the way, Baltimore, I mentioned this in the top of the podcast, how, how many prospects they have, but, they have some really good, some intriguing pitching prospects too as well. And Dean Kramer started the game for the O's. He only threw 22 pitches, but he allowed that home run to Dick Mayton, who that home run was an absolute blast to watch. And was he was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good home run. I was going to say something else profound, but I totally drew a blank on that. And then Spencer Trumpleson, 0 for 2, but that home, he had a, what would have been a home run on the first swing as first at bat. That was, that was a serious blast. And you know what? I think I have, you know what, everybody, I think I have that too. I have that video. Uh, it's pretty good. Like I, you know what? We have the highlights as Bernie Smiley would say. So let me, let me find that real quick. But yeah, so Lakeland's been pretty good and there's gonna be a food review too. I'm, I'm working on a food review because. Nice. That's what they want. But I have the Spencer Trickleson at bat. I just have to – I showed it to Chris earlier. I saw it. I can Yeah, Chris it saw it. So he knows what I'm talking about. So let me see if I can find it and post it in our chat. So I will do that here in just a second. But, no, carry on. What were you guys' thoughts about today's game? Yeah, so I, I think today's game, there was a lot more to take away. Obviously, Jake Rogers going deep. It was his first game since, I believe, 
July of 2021. He did go the opposite way, if I'm correct. It was an opposite field home run. Yeah, Oppo Taco, as people like to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's good to see. Spencer Torkelson, it was a 415 foot out eye blast. And one takeaway I want to take is Eduardo Rodriguez threw two innings. I was reading up some stats, 19 of 23 in terms of strikes. His average fastball was sitting at under 92 miles an hour, which I don't know how much of a concern that really is. I don't think you could probably read too much into that. And then you had Chase and Shreve, Ronnie Garcia, both throw scoreless innings. Those are two guys that are going to be buying for the bullpen this year. Obviously, we talked about Jay Spry. He had a really struggle today, six runs. And yeah, Brandon White looked really good as well. Two strikeouts on only eight pitches. And yeah, I think there was a lot more to take away from this game. And it was an exciting game. Three home runs as well. Good to see Jake Rogers back in. Obviously, Nick Madden and, and Matt Verling going deep is, is a good sign as well. It's interesting. We think back to the night of the Verlander trade and you hear the names that they got. And that was 2017. And here we are, spring of 23. And we're just now really hoping Jake Rogers is <laughs> a guy to make the roster and be a part of this club going forward. It's just been quite the rocky road. So... It, it it was nice to see him on the ball field today and smack one out. And hopefully before the injury in 21, he was starting to hit a little. So we'll see if that was real. That'd be wonderful if it was. Yeah. Above all, I think you have to feel good for Jake Rogers, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a long rehab process. And he, he caught mm-hmm. the game too, right? He was the first several innings. And, and occasionally Lakeland has a bit of a jet stream out to, to right field. I remember Roberto Campos hit a home run that way last year. Guys can get it up in the wind and hit it out there. But still, we know Jake Rogers has power. And so that had to feel awesome. And yeah, it was uh, the Torkelson thing cracks me off. He's got to feel like the the unluckiest player on earth. He hit the ball harder than anybody that game. 415 <laughs> feet. The dead center, it's an out. Then strikes out his other bat. It's, like, it's exactly what he was doing in September. But for his first contact of the year, I'll take a 415 foot out. That's a pretty good sign. Hopefully... He'll just aim it to the left a little bit next time. But yeah, obviously you have to, you have to be happy with Matan and, and Verling hitting home runs. That's a good way to make a first impression on the new organization. And then, yeah, just the pitching, eh, not so great. But it was mostly just the randos that they brought in this year. Austin Bergner got in there as an emergency. And then so who does Lane Henderson, who who struggled. But then like Kervin Castro had a, had a nice inning, right? He was up to 97, I think, mm-hmm. with a, with a curveball. And then, and then, yeah, you, John mentioned Brendan White, and they added him to the 40-man for a reason. He was sitting 95, and, and that slider was getting swings and misses, so that looks useful. Yeah, Castro, I was really encouraged by Castro's outing. I really, really liked his stuff out there. Yeah, he prim- primarily throws a curveball, but he threw the hardest ball among all the pitchers at 97. And Hinch mentioned after the game, too, that he's a guy who has a history of throwing strikes, but then when he's off, he's really off. So here is the special focus at home run, by the way. What would have been a home run? Sorry. Yeah. The ghost home run. Saw the Yeah, he got hosed. Oh. He got hosed. Okay. He looked yeah. dangerous, though. He looked dangerous. I mean, yeah, you saw that. You're like, come on. Come on. Yeah, he got, he got. Uh, generally speaking, it's the first two days. John had a fun thing about the, uh, the spring over your actions. But very early on in spring training, the pitchers tend to be way ahead of the hitters, right? These guys are out here firing 97 with breaking balls. The hitters are like, come on, get it out. So that's the first contact he makes all, all spring. That's outstanding to me. That's a, a, a very good sign. We'll see what happens going forward. But but all you can ask is for these guys to hit the ball hard. hard. It's tough to, to hit it harder and farther than that. Yeah, Raj, I got to ask you about the game time. The first game, obviously, I believe was two hours and 15 minutes. What did it feel like? Did it feel like the game was moving faster? That's, I think, a, a huge talking point heading into this season. First and foremost, by the way, Detroit... Degenerate, you're absolutely right. Ronnie Garcia looked big. I mean, he looked like he looked a little bigger than normal. But I think it's also because maybe he's finally healthy for the first time. 
but did he look did he look ripped big or did he look like he had a good time with pizza he looked like he had a good time with pizza he looked like okay okay somebody in the discord was mentioning that and we were all like how can you tell from the pictures so apparently no i can confirm i can confirm because i was watching spot i was just like wow i even meant i said it in the in the press box to yeah like detroit degenerate saw it too so he knows what i'm talking about no but to answer your question so last year, going to a bunch of minor league games, we saw games that were under almost two. We, there's two games last year were under two hours, hour and 57 minutes, just under two hours. And it flew by yesterday. Today was not the case at all because that fifth inning was an example of a, how bad pitching can equal. No matter what, bad pitching is always going to make it any longer. But no, yesterday flew by pretty quick, and a lot of, everybody was pretty happy with that. We saw yesterday in Bo- Boston and Atlanta where it never, it never made a big deal about it, but it was so what? It was just it was, it was it was cares it was it was it was a game like oh the pitcher clocks are very bad. No, yes. it's been going on in the minor leagues for a while, and just in case nobody knows exactly what you're talking about, I assume they do. But yeah, there was a game. It was six six tied in the ninth with the bases loaded. And the batter was called out for not being ready with eight seconds to go in the Pittsburgh. So that ended the, the inning and the game, which, you know, was everybody's, oh, my nightmare. But this is why they have spring training, right? This is get this stupid stuff out of the way now, and, and it won't be a problem down the road. It also wouldn't shock me if we see that the pitch clock enforcement get a lot more lax later in the season and particularly in the playoffs. I don't think we have to worry about yeah. this sort of thing. See, that to me, that's the slippery slope that they need to avoid. It can't, it, once it's in, they need to stick with it because if they do allow it to wither as the season goes on and, dis- and it disappears in the playoffs, next season, it, it, it goes away, basically. And it's always going to be harder to pull it back to more enforcement. If, if they really want this and they think it's working, they need to stick with the enforcement. I, I heard a lot of people yesterday at least, I don't know, a few people say it's kind of, you have to not do it in the ninth inning. Just do away with the pitch clock in the ninth inning. That's nuts. I mean, that's just right. I, I was, I'm always willing to listen to someone's point of view, and I guess I still would. They enforced the rule on a violation in the bottom of the eighth, and, you, and you, a bases loaded rally goes down the drain, and now you're not going to call it 10 minutes later in the ninth? You've got to be kidding me. Okay, the game has already been altered by the rule. And whether you like the rule or you don't like the rule, here's what I can guarantee you. People hate when a game ends on a balk, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You hear everything. Oh, you should never call it. And that's, that was ticky-tack, balk, blah, blah, blah. And that was balk. And here, the guy wasn't in the box. He knows the rule. You got to apply it. You can't pick and choose when, in my opinion, you have to stick with it. Same thing with the baseline inter- runner's lane interference in the World Series when that happened a few years ago. Oh, you can't call that in the World Series. Yeah, you can. It's a rule. And I think that once they put this rule in place, boy, I really think they have to bear down and stick with it and not let it wither as the season goes on. Yeah. As was I, I'm sorry. But as a younger viewer, I was trying to, to get more younger viewers. And I just think this is good for the game to keep the game faster, to get more action on the field and to speed things up. Cause as you, people just don't have the attention span that they used to. And I think it's, it's really important, and I think that should be on the top of their list in terms of making the game better, is to, to making the games faster and more entertaining for the fans. But see, to me, I, I disagree with that, John, because I feel that this is just a knee-jerk reaction because football game, no one complains how long a football game goes, but somehow baseball has been hyper-focused. I do too, but yeah, you get, yeah. I don't think, I think baseball has an image problem based off the fact that a lot of this stuff might could have been simply Rob Manfred asked his nephew. His nephew's like, I understand appealing to a younger audience, but I really think already, if you look at some of the numbers across the board, yes, the average the average viewer is up in age. But I thought that the pitch clock in the minor leagues worked out fine. I think that's it's, 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 it's just making it faster. But as far as the, there's no explanation for the bases, that to me, I don't understand that at all. That one, I I don't get. But the size of the base, yeah, the size of the bases. Now there's something like pizza boxes. I think, 
weren't they saying that like the, the impetus behind behind that was player safety? They were hoping they yep. get fewer like ankle on ankle uh, plays at first base, and then if you're going to change one, you might as well change them all. And then like, hey, maybe yeah. maybe these extra inches will get us a couple more stolen bases. Um, <laughs> the so yeah, yesterday's game was two hours and fifteen minutes, which I looked up and it was the shortest game of the of the day. It was also the Tigers had three games last year that were two fifteen or less out of 162. So it was like, wow, that's a big difference. And today was 246, which is significantly longer. But then when you consider there were 20 runs scored, there were 19 hits, there were multiple yeah. mid-inning pitching changes. And I looked that up. The Tigers' 37 games last year were 246 or less. So this was still much faster than an average Tigers game last year. Part of that, I think, has to do with no TV, right? No TV commercials. Yep. Bogging it down. I don't know if there's a standard time between innings. I'm sure there is, but they don't always stick to it. But yeah, the, the games are going to be faster all year long, and I'm I'm into that. I do a good long baseball game too, but if you can get the average baseball game down 20, 30 minutes, I think that's going to be a good thing for the sport in general. And I think the, the, the thing about the, the playoffs that I forgot to mention earlier too, one thing I have really railed on and hated over the last decade is how many four-hour, nine-inning baseball games there are in the playoffs. They are getting to be interminable. Now, I know the commercial breaks are a little longer, okay? So that's that part is baked in, and that's fine. Otherwise, base, playoff baseball is really, really dragging. You could spend an hour and be in the second inning. That's all the time. So it would be good to me if they, if they do stick with it right through the playoffs. Mm-hmm. In terms of like other solutions that you guys have other than the pitch clock, is there any other kind of ideas you have to make the game move by a little quicker? Or is this kind of their best case, their best bet? I think this is fine. Again, I don't think it's for appealing for a younger audience. Just to, I just think it's to make it the game a little faster. But I think this is fine. I, I, I think if you make too many changes at once, you have to, if they want to make some other changes, they have to wait and see what they're going to have first. A lot of this stuff was based off what they did in the Atlantic League last year and with the minor league. So you're going to have to get a new crop of players before you make another rules like this change again. So the, the robot arms are coming and that the automated strike zone, that's going to cause some more controversy. That's going to change framing forever for catchers. But for now, this is fine. Have you guys noticed? Is that is that home plate umpire looking down to third to the third base ump a lot when they're making these calls on these violations? Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen enough to know. I, that's what I'm because I'm, I'm wondering. I haven't looked into it. I haven't heard anybody talk about it. I'm wondering if it's the third base umpire who's really monitoring that clock because let's face it, the third base ump doesn't do a hell of a lot. So Based off you what Uper makes sense because the clock is so the clock in in Joker Market Stadium. Wherever the public field, public field is the proper name of it. It's where the Polk University mm-hmm. sign is. It, the clock is right there. It's hard to see from the press box because the numbers are in red and you have the sun right there. But from third base, it's a clear. You can see it right there, and that would. That's probably the reason why I did notice that a little bit that they were looking down at third base. But it makes sense because third base they have a clear view. Of the clock yeah. right there, and then that noise you heard—you may have heard the noise in the booth when it looked at beep. That's when the pitcher is—they start the clock, and right. that beep is when the pitcher's making his motion. So that's gonna be that's, that. That part fascinates me as as an amateur umpire who will never have to deal with any of this. <laughs> but still, the third base umpire, let's face it, they have fair fall responsibility past third base, and they have check swing responsibility on left hand batters. And otherwise, they might get one or two calls a game. So they would definitely, to me, be the guy out there who should be more often than not having time on his hands to monitor that. Because that's a lot of new responsibility, let's face it, that you're lumping onto the umpires with all these roles. No, you're right. Todd had an interesting question. Was there not talk about being able to try to steal first base from home or a pass ball or a wild pitch? I I think that was the Savannah Bananas that were doing that. I, I don't know if that was... Was that no. in the Atlantic League too? Yes. The Atlantic League had that for at least one year. And it was any time in the count. If the pitch went to the backstop, you could take off for first. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's, that's, how, that's I wonder how that worked out. 
I watched all work though. This was fun. <laughs> yeah. Overall, though, I think today was a good day for the Tigers, even despite the score, because of the contributions already from Verling and on. And here, here's the thing too. It was it was a stat that Matt Eddy from Baseball America pointed out that I thought was pretty interesting because we got yesterday. I get the chance. We got a chance to talk to Lindsey Perez, who made his first appearance in the clubhouse and he's rehabbing a little, he's rehabbing a back. And the reason why I mention that is usually this will probably be our, my inside of the number, but he is, we're not doing our segments as of yet. We'll start doing those on Thursday. But one of the things that I, I came out about Winslow Perez was last year, he was among the top in terms of top half. Let me see if I can find a stat real quick here. 10 minor leaguers, this is from Matt Eddy from a Baseball America. 10 minor leaguers were at least 50% better than the league average in a park-adjusted OPS plus and ISO plus. The filters being 2,200, 350 plate appearances. And Winslow Perez comes down there. And Matt Eddy pointed out something out that was interesting. And as far as, like, the Tigers, in terms of a minor league system, had the lowest runs produced at 4.7. Which then matches what the major league levels team was doing. So again, maybe that's why some of the apathy comes from some of the the Tigers and what have you. But again, the overreaction, as John put it nicely, or put it out there pretty well, it's worth getting excited about because it's it's nice. It's it's this is a team that still has. I saw there's some quick at bats out there from Davis and, and scope, but still. And, and the, I think the most interesting thing about that tweet from Matt Eddy was the other nine players on the list, right? Or however many players, they're all guys who are top 100 prospects on, on multiple lists. Kyle Manzardo, Christian Encarnacion, on Strand, Ellie De La Cruz, Indy Rodriguez, Addison Barger, Logan O'Hoppy, Austin Wells, Edgar Cuero, and Pete Crow Armstrong. These are all top 100 prospects. And then there's Winslow Perez. So, yeah, and I, I think I put out a series of tweets last year about like comparing Winslow Perez and Parker Meadows to some guys and, and looking at all their, their actual statistical production. And his point was that, yeah, the, the Tigers just play in a bunch of really bad parks for offense. And so it, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to use traditional stats to, to see how well they're doing, which goes to, I was mentioning it in the, in the Discord earlier, a, a guy that, that Raj is a little bit higher on than, than I am, but he likes to point this out is Manuel Sequeira hit 19 home runs last year in, in the Florida state league as a 19 year old, which is really rare. And he hit 12 of them in Lakeland, which is a very hard place to hit home runs. Ask Spencer Torkelson. So I mean, that's something to, to think about there. And there are other aspects of his game, but it's pretty impressive when you see guys put up that sort of power in, in Lakeland or West Michigan. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of, as far as, as far as high and low A last year, not a lot of guys that had really. I don't think, I don't think anybody hit twenty home runs. Chris, I don't think in high or low A, outside of Sequoia, I think let them all. Nobody who stayed there all year. I think Meadows hit twenty on the year, but in three or four were in A, but then the rest were in Erie. And I think that's it. Yeah, I think, yeah, and in, in, in like even in the last several years, I, I'm trying to think. I think Ray Rivera hit twenty plus one year. In West Michigan, but that's all he had, and he's no longer playing baseball. Yeah, Ooh, it's yeah. Winslow Perez really put up good stats. I think that's the case that some people talked about. I think I don't know if it was Cameron was talking about him being his sleeper on our our minor league report podcast. Had he not been hurt, and yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable take because he was putting up really good offensive stats last year. And he talked about the swing too. One of the things he talked about yesterday was the fact that he was working on putting more loft in a swing. And that was a big part of it. And he made an adjustment where he was talking about put his hands back a little more so he could come through the zone quicker. And that's what was a result of that. And that kind of, I remember when he first came here, he was doing pretty well, but then he started really hitting inconsistently. And and I got to give credit to Dan Hasty, who said when he's on, he is one of the best series in the system. And I thought that, no offense to Hasty, I thought Hasty was seen, seen as lip service, but, it, the, the adjustments the Tigers identified were, and here's another example of what we're talking about. The Tigers identified the changes. They worked with them to get better. Well, 
yeah, I mean, you got to give Perez credit, though, because right. adding loft to your swing is is not that easy. We've seen a lot of guys who just can't do it, and he did it with, with no noticeable change in his plate discipline, which is a huge, huge bonus there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. We talked about it with the developments getting better. And that was a good one. We, I'd like to see some more of that this year. Let's see them campo some loft. Let's see them help Daniel Cabrera figure out how to hit. Let's see some of that this year. But no, I, I, I don't know. It was, I'm glad you got to talk to him because his it was a bummer to see his name back on the injured list. We were really hoping that that he had a lot a long time off. Really hoping that the back wouldn't flare up, and so you got to get a little bit worried about that. But I'm glad you at least got to talk to him. Yeah, and in terms of an ETA, is he a guy you could potentially see in September, do you guys think, this year? Or maybe earlier than that? Well, he's on the 40-man, right? Yeah, he's mm-hmm. on the 40-man. So, I, I don't know. Rod, you, you asked Hench about him. I don't know if that was off the record or what, but... Oh, uh, yeah, he... No, so he, that was on the record. He he was pretty pretty excited about him in terms of developments he made, pardon me, the last season, and he was... Again, we're... As far as playing second base and all that is concerned, they're going to try to give him some time. That's where they ideally are going to see him there. But no, they, they were really, Hinch was really, well, was really high on him. And and for, mentioned him, and again, Lipsius came up in the conversation yesterday before the game. But for for now, Perez is, I think he's, what he's going to do now is just continue to rest and rehab. And But he hasn't participated in any of the drills as of yet. Same thing with, Although Reese Olsen threw, did throw some side bullpen today, so I did see that on the sheet. So, yeah, there he was dealing with some elbow discomfort, which is never a great combo of words to hear for a pitcher. But so you see, they're ramping him up, so that's good. Dakota, Dakota, in her chat asked if we will sign anyone else. I still think there's a possibility they will, based off the kind of the conversation. I'm not going to, that's purely speculation kind of thing, but I think they're going to see what they have in camp first before they decide to go elsewhere. And again, this is where you have to look at who else is going to drop who and what have you. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make another move or two. They they were pretty, they sent, they signed like a bunch of lefty relievers in a span of three weeks over the last three weeks. <clears throat> and they're pretty quick on making decisions about that. So if somebody fits great if they don't. They're out. Brisky will be tomorrow, yes. Bo Brisky will be pitching tomorrow for Tigers. As far as the trade deadline is concerned, worse, I, we'll, we'll see. Again, this is way too early to tell, but I do get the impression that they're not going to be afraid to make any moves. Yeah, I'd be shocked if they don't do something at the trade deadline, most likely selling, but who, I couldn't tell you right now. Ooh, Will Smith. Will Smith's still out there, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a couple people still out there. We mentioned Profar several times. It just... To me, it's it's other than the lefty reliever. I could see the Tigers have no shortage of bodies at the point at this point. They they they've got lots of candidates for lots of different positions, and and we know they're not actively trying to <laughs> say that they want to right, but they're not like, hey, we need to get two extra wins right now. So I don't think we're going <laughs> to sign somebody just to sign somebody. But I could see them looking at the team and going, we need another lefty reliever because that is the you've got Alexander and. Then what? Shreve looked pretty good today. He had a splitter. I, we were trying to determine in the press box whether it was a splitter or a slider, but I think on Statcast they had it as a, a slider, but it looked like a splitter. That, that'll be interesting to see if he can make that into the thing. But we still haven't seen yet, too. And I think probably might see him in the next couple of days is Miguel DePozo and see oh, what yeah. they have with him. Again, I, I don't know what, what's going to be that. And same thing with, yeah, Joey Wentz, I think we'll be pitching. I think he'll be pitching in the next couple of days. I did see it on the sheet that he'll be travel. I think he's going to travel with the team tomorrow, or I think he's pitching Tuesday. I can't remember off the top of my head. Raj, so, did you see Pejesus pitch? Yes, I did see him pitch in the ninth, yes. Or, the yes, he pitched in the yeah. ninth yesterday. Do you look good? I mean, he looked all, I mean, he looked all right. Again, you look good again? <laughs> yeah, look, it's just because, again, both, it was Philly's split squad, so it was kind of, I'd like to see him against the regulars before I can make any conclusion. But it was it was painting to see though. Chase Fry, no command in the strike zone. And it was just everything he left open. It was just he was getting hammered. And against Baltimore, I think at that point he had a couple of their younger prospects in there. But uh, I don't know. It was today was a good day. And Tigers, hopefully tomorrow, 
continue to build off that progress. Again, wins and losses don't matter. It's the little things like progress from seeing what we're seeing. Again, the biggest takeaway today from today, what we mentioned, is Spencer Wilson's big home run. Or big home run. Pseudo home run. It was, it was, there was one inning from hell, right? Like it was kind of, yeah. I watched, I watched the Red Wings last night and the Red Wings absolutely dominated the Tampa Bay Lightning the entire game and lost three nothing because Mm. Tampa has an amazing goalie and, and the Red Wings had some bad luck. The Tigers played eight pretty good innings. One of them was a disaster, but it's spring training, and the guys who were pitching in that inning probably won't be pitching for the Tigers at all this year. So I, yeah. wins and losses, like you said, don't matter. And there were a lot of little things to at least be optimistic about. So now the flip side of that game, and Roger alluded to it earlier, if you're a Baltimore Orioles fan, how good you feel? Oh, man. You got a little, you got a little pop in your step, don't you? I think oh, yeah. what's coming down the road here. They, they've, they've scored 10 runs in the first two games. Yeah. You got, you got Taron Vavra. Who made a couple of nice plays on, on Riley Green? Guy wanted the Tigers to draft in 2020, by the way. Yeah. And then you've got, oh, they had Kobe Mayo out there. They had Connor Norby. You saw Jackson Holiday today. Kate Povich was pitching. Another guy, they got, got Povich and another guy who pitched today from the Twins in the Jorge Lopez trade. I'm trying to think, well, was Colton, Colton Kowser was there? Yeah. They had all, all, they got Herso was playing, Herso was playing right, or playing right field, I think, at the end of the game, but. Povich, by the minute, he looked really good. He was out there throwing darts. I thought he, among all the Baltimore relievers, stood out. He was he was good. And 97 on the with some movement on it. So yeah, Baltimore is gonna be a fun, fun team to watch this year. If they can continue, if they can get contributions from the young guys, I think they're gonna be an interesting watch this year. But prospect-wise, you can see I think they're they're I think isn't Baltimore one of the top prospect team or what they I, voted number one system recently? I think I would say they're definitely a top ten system because I think Gunnar Henderson still counts as a prospect. In, yes, he's either number one or two, number two prospect in the in the in baseball. Their pitching isn't quite as impressive as their hitting, but they do have a couple of really nice arms led by Grayson Rodriguez. But yeah, the other funny thing about today's roster was it was it was all those prospects and then a bunch of former Tigers, which yeah. I, I, I assume that teams do this on purpose. So you've got, you had James McCann there. There was Daz Cameron. There was Josh Lester. We saw Reed Garrett, former rule five pick. And then Kyle Dowdy, Kyle yeah. Dowdy, who I'd never pitched for the Tigers, but was in their system. It's like, wow, man, look at all these names from the past. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was interesting. It was, especially when Lester, he subbed up for somebody. And then Daz Cameron was on with two runners on, or it was like two, yeah, two runners on. And, the way that inning was going, I thought something bad was going to happen, but then he promptly struck out. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it, the, I guess it was a 4A player on display. <laughs> Just I'm not trying to sound crassed, but I totally forgot that Reed Garrett was a Rule 5 pick until it was mentioned. Yeah, but, he's uh, been about two months with the Tigers, I think. Do you guys, Moose? I don't know Mike, Mike Moustakis. Oh, Moustakis. He might Wait, be cooked. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's cooked. Yes, he is. He he's is still out there. Moose. Yeah, he might. Yeah, if he was. Yeah, I forgot about the, his nickname being the Moose. No, he's. I think if he was. If, if the team wanted to sign him, sign him. But other than that, we'll be back on Thursday for the normal Thursday. So we're going to start doing two shows a week. So Thursdays and Sundays. So that way you can get all the weekend action and during the week. So this will be throughout the regular season. And yes, we'll be out at opening day somewhere. I don't know yet. I don't know what the exact plans are, but I know Woodward sports is going to be out at opening day. I think at the same place we were last year, whether we'll be doing a live show or not, I don't know. I would like to, that'd be awesome. But uh, yeah, expect us out and opening day, and I'll be out there this whole season covering every game down at commercial Park. There'll be a few away, away games I'm going to think about going to. Probably Cleveland, Chicago. I do want to go to a game in Milwaukee because I want to see a game. I've always wanted to go to a game in Milwaukee. So we shall see if that happens. But the Colorado, there's a, the Tigers play in Colorado. And I have my brother-in-law's yeah. brother lives out there. And he's like, hey, if you want to come and crash here, it's crazy. You can stay here. And he was like five minutes away from the park. I'm like, that. that. Yeah, that's the number one place I want to visit is Colorado. Can't wait to go there. Yeah, I'm. I'm just worried about the 
high altitude and everything. So my sinuses mm. and all that. I'm, old I'm 10 and, hours so. from Denver. If you need a place to stay on the <laughs> way, I'll have a ready to put up. Well, yeah, I've been to Denver several times. It's a good time out there. And, and we just had some friends from Colorado come out and visit. And he was talking about how Rockies fans are like Cubs fans. They show up no matter what, and they just kind of party. And they don't particularly care that much about the team sucking, which, <laughs> hey, I mean, that's good. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful setting out there, that's for sure. Yeah. And before we get out, I just wanted to mention we did hit 800 subscribers on YouTube. That was our goal by the end of February. And our goal, I believe, by opening day is 1,000, Raj. Yeah. We're getting there, 800. So thank you all for subscribing and watching our video. Really yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Please subscribe to this and please subscribe to Tiger Mountain Report. The Tiger Mountain Report is at 841. And I want to get to 1,000 in the worst way possible on Tiger Mountain Report. So please subscribe to both our channels. It takes two seconds to get content. What was it, Chris? Channel. I was going to say both of channels. Yeah. Both, both, both of channels? Both, both of channels? Both. That is, I, I, I keep getting emails from Bank of America, and it's it says B of A. And I'm like, why is BOFA? Why does BOFA keep emailing me, man? But, so BOFA, uh, yes. BOFA. So that would be great. Please please subscribe to both of our channels. And as far yes. as the last question about Lusakis to a minor league deal, we just have a bunch of players that can – they have to sort through. I don't think Masakis Masakis is not going to sign for a minor league deal unless it's for the Dodgers, which is, that seems to happen. Like that happened with Matt Carpenter when he signed with the Yankees, and then we saw it all happen parlayed into a contract with the Padres. So, I suppose almost any left hand batter is going to say, "Now that the shift is gone, I can hit." So maybe yeah. he'll say that. Yeah, that was a good good mention because Carpenter seemed like he was done and came came back and had some was very productive. So. I, you never want to completely write anybody off, but but again, the yeah. Tigers are not really trying to win. I think that's they will, of course, never say that. If they think that there's somebody who's going to help them win this year and not in the future, then they're not going to sign them. They want people who can help them in the future more than they can help them this year. Great depth. So for myself, Chris, Uper, and John, we'll see you Thursday. Have a good week, everybody.